Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. All right, everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. This will be the first full-length episode with a very special interview. My friend Timmy has agreed to come on. Uh, just a little bit about him, just a little intro here. Uh, we work together uh, for a team in the Midwest uh, he's the director of facility operations for a single A team. He's, he's worked in MILB for about eight years. Uh, he's worked for four different organizations ranging in different classes, including single A, double A, and triple A, kind of all over the country. Um, he's married and has two adorable little boys, um, which is kind of a rarity in minor league baseball. We're going to dive into that here. And he recently bought a house, which is also really unheard of in minor league baseball. And he's going to be a groomsman in my wedding in December. So we're going to cut to an ad real quick, and we'll be right back after these messages. All right, Timmy. How's everything going? You getting ready for the season? Yeah, we're starting to heat up here in Greenville. Yep, yep. Oh, man. Takes me back to the good old days. I, I kind of miss it, honestly. Like, working outside of baseball definitely has its pros, uh, but getting ready for the season and going to a ballpark every day, I really miss it. And just shooting this shit with my boys um but now i work with all women and uh things are a little bit different but i do enjoy going home at five o'clock every single day so um yeah, well i mean you, re- you remember what it's like uh this time of the year in Beloit. i tell stories all the time how uh we weren't even sure if you we were gonna get outside before opening day because of the weather um, I'm sure you remember the days of uh, cleaning out of the grandstands and things like that. But, you know, down in the south, we, we have all year round. We're outside doing things. And, and it's kind of like crossing your fingers up there below it, whether or not you're going to get outside. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's covered in four inches of snow or if it's actually going to be nice enough to do some work. Beloit was <laughs> just a challenge in its own. I remember it was opening day. And uh, about 14 people came to the ballpark, and it was snowing, and it is coming down sideways. And the catcher is saying to the umpires, I can't see the ball coming at my face. And they're they're like, nope, we're going to keep playing. And there were... (laughs) There were five errors in one half inning, and we ended up winning. I think it was it had to be in the sixth inning, I think, and we ended up winning. But it was just a wild concept that opening day, like, and, and then like all the Latin guys and guys from Hawaii and stuff went out there and did snow angels in the outfield because they'd never seen snow before. I don't think when they got drafted by the A's, they expected to be in that situation. Oh, absolutely not. Well, I don't think they expected to ever be in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. That's another story I always tell. I mean, we got five innings in because, obviously, you know, it's hard to tell the baseball from snow when it's that thick. And that's 
to be honest, that that kind of uh, told the story for the Jeremiah season because, as you know, we went through our our struggles with you know recently losing our team and, and having to um, kind of change course a lot. So. That kind of set the tone for how the whole year went, but it, it was good nonetheless. It was a great experience. Absolutely, it it really got me ready for pretty much anything. Honestly, anything. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm outside of baseball now, and they're like I'm trying to grasp a new career. And it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my last year in Birmingham, when we were we hosted the All Star Game that year, I think I told you that mm-hmm. um, we were celebrating like the last night, and uh, our owner spoke, and he was he was presenting. I think there was some sort of thing. I never knew they they did this, but I guess after twenty five years of service, just in general, minor league baseball. They had presented you with some sort of plaque or something. Right. They were doing that for our GM. And, you know, you mentioned how, like, you feel like you were in baseball for so long. But in the grand scheme of things, we were there for a fraction of the time that the GM in Birmingham has been there. And then you can imagine, like, what, what it's like, how long it's still for him. Right. I mean, later. well, <laughs> so I'm engaged now. And. The GM, the last GM that I worked for, had two kids. One's going off to college. One's in high school. Uh, He's married. And his family just comes to the ballpark all the time. And my fiance was like, yeah, that's that's not going to be our family. Like, like we're... That's the end of over. Yeah, I... (laughs) And I love her to death, but it was just one of those things. She was not budging on that. Like, I loved working in baseball, and I was good at it. And But the hours, man. And then and then you look at your paycheck, and yeah. I was just like, yeah, it just, it just doesn't add up. Like, yeah. So it is what it is. Um, let's get to some questions here. Um, so what made you settle down in one spot and buy a house? Uh, I think it was a number of things and, uh, it kind of goes back to like the, our five year plan. Uh, I think I've told you, but once we learned that we were having, uh, Colton, our oldest son, uh, we kind of, me and my wife put our heads together and decided like, you know, by the time that he's in school we want to try to be somewhere that we can stay because i know like for me growing up being in one spot for my from pretty much my whole upbringing was important to me because um you know my friends that i have to this day are kind of like my family and uh i you know i talk to some of them daily weekly monthly and uh you know i feel like if i would have bounced around that would that could have been difficult and, you know, my best friend, um, I've known him for going on 26 years now. So I wanted to kind of have that opportunity provided for my son. So we took necessary steps to get where uh, we're right now. And I know we'll, you and I will talk about that in a little bit. But um, that was our biggest goal. <clears throat> and then getting to Greenville, it's, it's hard to, to describe Greenville. But... Basically, it's you know it's a really good place to raise a family. I think, um, yeah, ideally it would be a little closer to home, being in Cincinnati, you know. But 
it's a good place to raise a family. Um, it's ideal in that regard. And, um, it's it's uh, it's a place where you know my son's in a good school system. He likes he likes school a lot. Um, and from an organizational standpoint, you know I, I feel like they really give you um, the tools you need to be successful here, which are which is you know another box that we needed to check. Uh, yeah, Greenville does check a lot of boxes and. And uh, if it if it didn't, yeah, we would keep moving on. But uh, we were fortunate enough that by the time Colton got into school, that we got to a place that it, it does check a lot of boxes. So um, it wasn't easy to get here, but we finally got here and it worked out for us. Right? Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I mean, you and I both know this, like. You move around a lot when you work in minor league baseball. I I told somebody the other day, I said, so yeah, I've had uh, a driver's license in five different states. <laughs> like, and, and they're like, what? Why would you do that? I was like, oh, I worked in minor league baseball. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, so I've you know I'm settling down here too, and um, it's a it's a nice little town, uh, about thirty minutes from the ballpark I used to work at. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all good now. Um, so I know this would be different f- if I asked a player this, but what's the biggest difference between working in single A, double A, and triple A? Uh. And it's it's hard to answer being on the business side of things because I think the biggest difference is like the size of the town to be honest because one thing I've learned not just being at all three levels but you know you mentioned earlier that if you work in baseball you move around a lot so therefore as an employee you meet people from a lot of different towns a lot of different organizations a lot of a lot of different levels of baseball so you, you learn from them kind of how their operations are and what I've come to the conclusion on is that um, I think the ownership and like the investment from upper management is kind of what dictates how a certain organization runs and not necessarily what level they're at right right you and I can attest to that because we both know I think we're actually we might have been to a game together in Dayton uh, against Beloit oh yeah yeah Dayton operates as one of the highest levels in all of baseball and I know not just like from the standpoint of, of their crowd, but uh, I know Forbes released the article that said they were one of the most profitable teams too. So yeah, I don't know if, like the classification matters as much as like how much your ownership's invested in it. But I think the what puts you in a certain classification is is dictated off of the size of your town. And I think that's because it it, it kind of sets your earning potential. Some sure, meet meet that. You know, some teams don't don't live up to the size of their town, but some do, and some exceed the size of their town. So I think the biggest difference is the is the size of the town you live in, not so much the operation you work in. Right, right. Um, Dayton is a town that could support a Triple A team, but they're single A. They're in the Midwest League. Um, everything is amazing in Dayton. Everything is top class, except their security. <laughs> when you and I went to that game and Beloit was playing Dayton and I we went to we went to the dugout and the manager we you know happened to be pretty close with him since we worked with him every day said 
come on, come on down into the dugout. I said, what? I think we might have had the beverages in our hands, too. Oh, you, oh, dude, I was probably about six beers deep at that point. And it's about a 10-foot drop into the dugout from the stands. And he's like, he's like oh, come on, I'll catch you. <laughs> and you and I both went in there, right? Yeah, but that's not finally based on a nutshell, though. And all the, all the guys on the team knew who we were. And they're like, oh, hey, man, what's up? And then we walked in the clubhouse, and the starting pitcher was was in there doing his doing all of his stuff, you know, cooling down and whatnot. And nobody from Dayton's staff came into the dugout or even thought about asking us what we were doing. Yeah. It's almost like the situations where, like, if you look like you belong, they think you belong, even if you don't. I mean, yeah, we were wearing... Beloit t-shirts but we also had beers in our hands so yeah. Uh, yeah everything's top class in Dayton except their security <laughs> um, what are you drinking tonight sir uh, nothing special no Just, uh, some white beer that we have in the fridge nice what you got there a little captain and diet um, like I was telling you, you know, before we started recording, I'm doing this keto, low-carb thing, and apparently that means no beer, um, which is very unfortunate, but Captain and Diet helps get you there quicker, you know? Yeah, um, keep the weight off. Yep, so, um, yeah, actually, not working in baseball has allowed me to go to the gym more often. Uh, eat less hot dogs too. Dollar hot dogs. Actually, to be honest with you, I don't eat hot dogs like not at ballparks. Like you know, you know better than that. That's why I don't buy them at the grocery store. I don't eat them because I've ingested so many hot dogs over the years <laughs> that it's stupid, and I'm sick of them. So. I don't. I don't even. I don't really eat them. So it is what it is. Um, you got that one. How? So I'm going to tell my story about how I got into MILB, and then I'm going to ask you the same thing. So when I was getting ready to graduate college, I knew I wanted to work in sports, and so I was emailing. Everybody from the Midwest to the East Coast, um, I was emailing uh, NBA G League teams. I was emailing lots of minor league baseball teams because, let's face it, there's more minor league teams than there are any other um, semi-professional or professional team. There's just more. There's just there's 160 minor league teams in the country, so I had more of a chance there, and the. Um, the vice president of the team in my hometown looked at my resume and he was looking for an intern for that, for that summer. And it was a short season single a team. And, um, he is a very influential person in minor league baseball. And he helped me get every job I ever had after that. Um, so yeah, I was his promotions and media relations assistant, I guess. 
So how did you get into minor league baseball? Uh, honestly, it's very similar. Um, it's funny because like when you just kind of go ahead and contact any, any team in any city that you're willing to work for, it's funny how that kind of like dictates the rest of your career because it's all about chance at that point in time. You, you kind of go based off connection more or less, but that first job, you're just kind of trying to get your foot in the door, as you know. Right, right. So, um, the, and I remember my first interview, first of all, it, it was kind of hard to hear uh, my eventual boss on the phone, and it was pretty short. Um, and it was, I, I had had several interviews. I even had interviews with teams that lead on it now. Uh, but with that particular interview, I don't know if it was because we were late in the spring and they were trying to get someone in there and my availability matched, but it was like a 15-minute conversation and I got I got hired on the spot. And then it was one of those things where, you know, it kind of caught, caught my wife off guard at first. She knew I was looking for a job, but kind of it, it all happened real quick. And then... You know, uh, you're there for, you're committed for six months, and I just kind of went into it like, you know, trying my best to earn a full-time job, and it worked out, so kind of how it all started. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it's crazy how, how like, tight-knit the MILB industry is, like, I mean, you and I were both trying to leave Beloit at the same time, yeah. <laughs> and... Well, we were just emailing GMs like on the East Coast, in the Midwest, just trying like trying to get jobs out of Beloit, and um, and it was amazing to me like how many interviews that we got just off of our resume alone and reaching out. Like yeah. there were so many GMs that were like. Yeah, I don't have anything available like with your skill set, but I at least wanted to talk to you because you reached out. Yeah, it's a wild concept. And if I could, if I could add to your to your comment for me, or I think for both of us, you know, just just uh, put it out there that you know we we definitely loved our time in Beloit, but we knew everyone everyone that knows Beloit knows that you get in there and you and you and you, uh, you work your tail off and you. You try to you try to go to, to more settling areas, but um, I think that experience in itself was what really helped me be successful. First of all, it's where you really gain confidence. You either sink or you sink or you swim. Right. And I, you know, we swam and uh, you gain confidence, but but you really learn. You know, if you can make it there, you make it anywhere. But it's funny you mentioned about how how tight knit the community is in minor league baseball because you and I starting out. I worked from my first place in Miley Baseball, you know, literally across the country from Beloit uh, with an employee that prior to uh, this person coming to where I was at, they had worked with you in Beloit before I came there. And that person was able to um, kind of uh, tell me what Beloit was like before I got there. And when she, when she first told me how it was like, the time it was just a conversation oh i know who you're talking about now okay i wasn't i wasn't looking for a job at the time we had just you know talked about our previous experience around like baseball it's funny how that person came from where they came from to beloit to to where i was at and then i came across country to beloit it's funny how that works out yeah (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so my first full time job. So I was a communication major, and my internship in minor league baseball was marketing and promotions, um, that kind of stuff, updating the website, um, some media relations, and then I interviewed for a the director of media relations position in Beloit at the baseball winter meetings in Nashville. And I, they, they called me and they said, ah, we, we offered it to somebody. And I was like, ah, damn. And, uh, they said, well, we have this director of food and beverage position open. And I was, and I was like, are you looking at the right resume? Like, why would you ever, why would you ever think that I'm qualified to do that? And they said, well, we talked to your, uh, to your references and we know, we know you're a really hard worker and, um, that's really what we're looking for. They just needed somebody, I mean, to work hard, but they just needed somebody was, yeah. was the main this thing. Good, this is probably a good opportunity for you to tell, uh, your audience of the time that you about blew your eyelashes off. Oh, I did, Bloom. I I burnt them off. Yeah. Um, because I had no formal training for anything. <laughs> um, and these, so, I mean, I can I can say it. Boys is shithole. Um, at least the ballpark is, and all so the fryers and the grill and like all that stuff was just sketchy and i'm sure they're still working with the same ones i'm positive um and like i had no idea how to turn them on properly and so anybody who's worked in fast food knows how to light a fryer i never worked in fast food I didn't know how to light a fryer. Um, and so I'm trying to light this fryer the way I was taught, which was wrong. And and so I'm turning the knob from left to right. And, and when you push it in, I, I, I kind of forget how to do it now, but there's a certain way you're supposed to push a button in and you're supposed to turn it from left to right. While I was doing that... And it wasn't igniting. You know, I had the pilot lit and all that, and it just wasn't igniting. And so I kept doing it over and over again. And I was like, this son of a bitch isn't lighting. What? What's that? So you're releasing more gas into the air. Exactly. And I had no idea that's what I was doing. I'm I'm releasing more gas into the air, and all of a sudden... I'm on my I'm on my knees at this point um and I turn it one more time and I just see flames just like all in my grill and I of course I'm scared shitless so I back up and I fall and I think I'm pretty sure I passed out for a couple minutes and I we don't know how long for sure. No, because because I woke up to one of my interns coming in and saying, "Oh my god, are you okay?" And I like came to my senses and I felt my face to make sure it was all there. And my 
eyebrows and my eyelashes were singed, and I walked into the office, and the gates are about to open. It's like... This is like a hundred yards away. Yeah, and the gates are about to open for the game. And my GM says, what happened to you? It looks like you just saw a ghost. And I was like, I almost fucking burnt my, burnt my face off. And he goes, uh, with the grill? And I said, no, the Friars. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's not the first time. I was like, what do you mean it's not the first time? You're not going to tell me this? Like, you're not going to teach me how to do this? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like if you uh, if you happen to have, like, a picture <laughs> of your face at that point in time and you have the opportunity to put a graphic to this episode, that should probably be the picture. <laughs> I don't think I have a picture at that point, but needless to say, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing that entire year. And then, so they ended up firing the guy that they hired for director of media relations. And then they offered it to me because, because, so they fired that person and then they realized, oh, we have stuff we want to put on the website and on social media. And I was the only person that knew how to do that because of my internship. So it ended up working out, but that year of director and food and beverage was the worst. Um, so... Why do you choose to stay in minor league baseball? Clearly, you can f- find a better job that has better hours and you can make more money. <laughs> um, well, I think when I first got into it, and you you, pay, you may feel the same way when you first got into baseball, um, Obviously, it's not what you expect. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's just not what you expected. And I think that's probably the consensus for people that get into it. Um, but then you get into it, at least this is my perspective, and you realize, you know, uh, the challenges that you that you have just day to day. And uh, I guess the best way to put it is it, it becomes kind of addicting. And... Uh, it's it's a it's a challenge that I like every day, and I feel like especially like in Beloit, you know, when you have a successful day uh, at the ballpark, you feel a little bit more pride because you know kind of what went into making that actually work. And it's not orthodox sometimes, and it's not easy in the in the least. Uh, but you know, you it's it, it just kind of feels really rewarding. But you know, I, I kind of stuck to it and. Eventually, you know, part of you says like, well, I've, you know, I've come this far, um, you know, I might as well uh, keep going. You know, I'm doing pretty well. And then eventually you, you just get to a point in time where um, people kind of just respect what you do and, and you do fine. And, you know, to answer your question, to be honest with you, I, I don't want or care to find what you, what you call a better or different job. I, I love what I do. It's, it's probably crazy to say that, to be honest, because like you said, the hours you put in, but... Um, I just become kind of addicted to to what minor league baseball is. I even people always ask me from back home. They say, you know, when are you going to get a job at the Reds or somewhere closer or in the major leagues? And I always say, you know, now that I'm in it, I feel like um, I like 
what minor league baseball stands for. I like being, I like having my hand in different parts of the operation, which I feel like is at the big league level, you're just a part of the, the well-oiled machine. Um, and I also like kind of watching like the players, you know, go through that development just like you are, and trying to trying to fight and strap for for their careers too. So I just like what minor league baseball is, and I'd almost rather be in minor league baseball versus major league baseball. I think when I got into it, my hope and idea was to, to get to the major league level. But I think that kind of changed after I got into it in a little while. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely an adrenaline rush. Um, yeah. But and you feel a sense of accomplishment at the end of a night that was you know a sellout crowd. The team won um, on a walk off grand slam, like which actually happened to me last year. Um, and everything went perfect. All of your sponsors are satisfied. Um, you're getting great love on social media, like. There's there's definitely a sense of accomplishment and there's an adrenaline rush like because everything's got to go, you know, perfect. There's a lot of different moving pieces and for me it was kind of like so we both grew up playing sports and but we're You were a good, you were a good punter, right? No, I played soccer and basketball. Um I mean, basketball very mediocre soccer slightly more than mediocre um i actually made the varsity team in soccer not i mean yeah it wasn't very good but what i'm saying is you and i are average height we're extremely caucasian um so for us to you know play sports in college or in the pros was stupid to think like so the next best thing was to work in sports and yes i definitely agree that minor leagues are better than major leagues um in the fact you know that you're affecting a smaller community i grew up in a minor league baseball community um there's minor league baseball Two minutes away from there's minor league stadium. Two minutes away from my house in um, Pennsylvania, so I that I just fell in love with it back then. I had my first sip of beer at a minor league baseball stadium. Like my my dad, like I I was probably like twelve or thirteen, and my dad had gotten a beer, and I said, "What does that taste like?" And he said, "You're not gonna like it," and. I mean, you can tell it was a long time ago because I, I, and I said, I said, well, like, let me try it. And he said, all right, here you go. In front of thousands of people, he gave me this sip of beer when I was 12 years old, probably. And I sipped it and I was like, oh, that's disgusting. And he said, I told you. But you could never get away with that in 2020 with giving a 12-year-old a sip of beer. In, in front of thousands of people. How does your busy schedule affect being a dad and a husband? How do you make that work? Um, because being director of facility operations, you're there all the time. You're, you're there right now. It's almost 10 o'clock, and it's in February on a Wednesday. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, tonight we had an orientation, so uh, I figured I'd catch you on my way out, but um, just that time of the year, you know how it is. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I'd be lying if I told you it, it didn't, I guess, affect uh, my time around, my boys and my wife uh, throughout my career. But that's also another, and I could go on for days about reasons why I like where I'm at right now. But right. one, of the, one of the reasons is, you know, they're very, um, they're very aware of everyone's, you know, family situations and supportive of that. Um, they know that if I, if I'm not, if I'm away from the park for the family, they understand how it goes. Um, and they respect that knowing that I'm not going to abuse that. They, they, so that, that trust is there. So, you know, I, I, I can get away a little bit more than I, than I could in the past, especially having, you know, extra support system, you know, in my, in my own department here. Um, so, you know, when I touched on them giving me the tools to be successful, uh, within my department, that also extends to, you know, my personal life as well. So, um, one reason why we're in a good spot, you know, my, I think my wife's still getting used to me being home at normal hours in the off season for the most part now. Um, and that's, that's been big. Uh, but you know, you, you, you work hard to get to a certain spot and then you, you realize where you're at and realize what's important. And when you have like an organization that supports that, I think it makes it easier. Um, so yeah, it definitely is effective, but I think part of that is having a, a good partner, um, that I have in my wife and, and what she does for our boys. Thankfully, um, she loves that element of her life just as much as I love my job. And that, that's kind of like. Uh, I guess that's a, that is a necessity. Uh, yep. Not, I guess maybe not everyone could do it. I mean, you touched on like you getting out of baseball, and that, that's been a story, you know, for a lot of people. And uh, it just takes, I guess, the right situation, the right partnership, the right uh, personalities to to get through it. But um, it, in the same sense, it it uh, allows you to cherish those moments a little more when you are home and. Uh, uh, you know, them being welcome here whenever they want helps too. Right, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I could I could have gotten another job in baseball. I actually got an offer to be promoted um, at the team I was with, um, but it was just it was just time, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was. Uh, and and my and I found somebody that I want to um, spend the rest of my life with, and her whole family lives within a mile of this house. So it would be crazy to think that she would pick up and move. Um, and quite honestly, you know, she she brings home the bread. So, um, yeah. but. The silver lining of me getting out of baseball, yes, I have more time to go to the gym. Yes, I come home shortly after 5 o'clock every day. Um, I have a shorter commute now. Um, but I've had this idea for this podcast for a while, and um, now I'm getting the chance to dive into it. And hopefully uh, it'll be successful down the road. Um how has moving multiple times affected your family life? You're you're originally from the Cincinnati area. You've moved to Wisconsin, to Louisiana, to South Carolina, uh, to Alabama. Like, 
doing doing that like with just yourself sure pack pack up the car and let's go but i mean with a wife and two kids and then and then your your other family like your parents and your your siblings and stuff like that how did how is moving multiple times affected that uh yeah I mean, that's a good question um and I'll give you one example of like when we you mentioned at the, at the beginning of the show that uh, I had recently purchased a house and they were informing us that we need to make sure our um, state issued IDs are um, current with my new address you know showing that it's a residency rather than like a property you own for sure it, it affects your mortgage and all that so like that right there is by the biggest pain in the butt than compared to everything else um, just like changing all your um, your your insurances and your IDs and your changing your um, like your cable and all that stuff that goes into moving that's probably the biggest pain in the butt but uh, I mean it's definitely been tough but you evaluate your situation you realize what's right for the family and you just kind of gut it out and if I'm being honest you know I I uh, try to carry a little bit more of a weight around the house this most recent move than I had before because again like I told you my wife's pretty accommodating in that regard she's she's carried the weight a lot when we've moved when I've been trying to finish out you know job I was in the right way and uh, this most recent move it, it, you know it was a lot for her she really wanted to she really wanted to be where we're at now as far as the home we live in and that's it's important to her but I knew I had to I had to step it up a little bit and make sure that we uh, we, we uh, did what we had to do to, to make it work um and uh, it, it's a relief knowing that that hopefully was our last one for a while, but uh, it wasn't any easier than the first several times because, you know, you mentioned where I've been at. I actually lived in two different spots in Birmingham. I lived in two different spots in, in Alabama, one spot in um, Wisconsin, and then now two spots in, in South Carolina. So uh, it wasn't just like moving towns. It was... Big moves. Yeah, big moves. Um, There's something else. So how did you go about convincing your lovely spouse to follow you (laughs) to all these different locations? Like, I want to know what she said when you were like, honey, we're moving to Beloit, Wisconsin. Uh, Well, um, some of them are easier than others, like... Like I told you uh, before, um, when I when I got my opportunity in New Orleans, my first uh, job in Major League Baseball, we were dating at the time, and it was something I wanted to do. And at the time, I didn't think it was going to be something that lead to where we're at now. How does it be? Hey, six months, you know, you can choose to come with me or you can choose to stay. We're, we'll stay together, but I'll, I plan on being back in six months. Well, thankfully, you know, she was – like I'm, I'm coming to just give me a couple extra weeks because we never look back so it worked out but um, that one was the start that was you know it was definitely tough to adjust because she's real close to her family you know her yep. close to her family her best friend is her, is her sister um, but then uh, the boy move yeah it was it was a long move or anything but it was closer to home and also it was my first opportunity as, to be a director so for those two reasons it was kind of easy um, Birmingham was rather easy just because of the opportunity um i think 
even for the general baseball fans, they they probably know the name Birmingham Bears because you know the uh, Michael Jordan played for him. Things like that. It's it's a, and it's just a well-ran organization and everything like that. Um, so they know the name, and so that for that regard, it was it was relatively easy as far as advancing. And then uh, this one may have been a little bit harder as far as like the career goes. You know, because I I saw what the the drive had to offer me, and she she wasn't in on those conversations every time. But um, luckily, I knew a few people in Birmingham that knew or lived in this place. One one our groundskeeper was even actually he worked here as an intern under my current boss, which is you know we talked about how small the world minor league baseball is. Oh yeah, that's that's yep. a very good example. But you know those guys and girls were able to give me good uh, feedback on Greenville, and it kind of like I said checked a lot of boxes for what we wanted from a family standpoint. And so that was kind of a selling point. And yeah, there was some selling to it at times, but you know we also got to a point in time where she was just saying, you know, I I support what you're doing. You're working hard. Uh, I'm with you, but you know, you know, away from work, we gotta make sure we're, um, you know, meeting both our needs. So it's a balancing act, like any relationship, and uh, you know, something that I'm, I work on every day. Uh, but um, when it comes to the career, she supported what I've done, and since I haven't wavered from what I do and in my commitment level, I think that makes it something where she can she can look me in the eyes and say all right let's do it she, she trusts me in that regard right right and and i didn't have a significant other when i was moving to beloit um but i told my dad that i was gonna move to beloit and he was trying to tell me not to and uh he said and i told him what the starting salary was and he said, he said, you're not going to be able to make that work. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm, I'm doing it anyways. And at that time I had an, I had a cousin that lived 30 minutes away from Beloit. And he said, you can, you can come stay in my basement. And I was like, all right, let's do it. I'm going to sleep on a mattress in a basement for at least six months. So, Thinking we're getting into something that just wasn't what it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I'd be lying if I, if I said we didn't. I didn't have great support from my family, too, to make it happen. Because, like you said, you know, it isn't always financially feasible at the beginning. You know, you got to have the work ethic to, to succeed in it, but you also have to have that support. I think that's what makes it so difficult as, like, directors to recruit um, people to come, whether it be seasonal or at a small operation, um, because not only do they have to have the, the good work ethic, but they got to have the support. To st- someone saying, like, you know what, I'll spot you for six months until you get your right. Uh, you know, your situation figured out, and you get a job that's more stable. Absolutely. Um, so, I know you've gotten this a lot, and I've gotten this a ton over the course of my career. Um, <laughs> what do you do in the off season? Don't you hate that question? Like, oh yeah, like like we don't do anything. Yeah, exactly. So, can you go in and describe your duties of your job in the off season and during the season? Yeah, 
and uh, it does vary place to place. You know that yep. even if you're in the same department, right? Because especially in minor league baseball, um, they're all set up differently. So, um, like, you know, one thing I really enjoyed about my experience in Birmingham was that um, I got to do team travel. And that, that was about as close to the baseball ops as you get with what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, my assistant right now, he, he also operates the club in and he gets to do some things that's that's kind of player relations, and I think that that's kind of right up his wheelhouse. But those kind of opportunities are pretty rare for what we do because we're strictly business side. Right. And um, so, uh, you know, every opportunity is different, but um, and that kind of varies what you do, whether how how involved you are in my particular position, how involved you are with the clubhouse operation, how involved you are with team travel, how involved you are with sales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in Birmingham, you could be ops, but you're also selling, which is very, very unique. Um, so there's some places that don't even let you touch your phone if you're in operations because they do things a certain structured way, a corporate way, I guess you could say. Right. Um, but here, um, one big reason why I came here, one big reason why I was recruited here was uh, my experience in Birmingham, in uh, Beloit with game day staff. And so here I have like, you know, 90 employees that we recruit year round. Um, and when I say year round, as you know, a lot of our league teams uh, are diving into the non game day events more. You know, they have ballrooms and things like that. Um, Fortunately, we went, we underwent a renovation in 17 that allowed us to kind of be on that level. And uh, so we're always recruiting people year-round for, for things like that, whether it be the, the uh, janitorial staff or the game day ops staff, you know, the, the front-facing customer service people. And so um, a lot of times I'm spending is recruiting them uh, in the off-season. Uh, as you also know, you know, there's projects that you don't necessarily have the time to get into during the season that you that you dive into around the pole park mm-hmm. uh, some being capital improvements some being just projects that take you know a week or two at a time you know I've, I've painted so much I feel like my assistant's not an expert when he, he has never really painted before <laughs> that much before he got here um, you know there was a lot of, a lot of opportunity to to get some things done this off season specifically and then you're always just evaluating what you can do better, especially like with our game day operation and me being in charge of the game day staff. Right, right. Versus during the season, um, you know, you, you try to get to a point in time where you have everything uh, groomed and ready for the season. Uh, and then, you know, when the team's in town, like I said, I'm, I'm managing the game day staff. Typically we have between 25 and 45 people at a time working on the game day staff. Um, we implemented, like, you know, as most teams, a clear bag policy, uh, wanding and all that stuff, all those procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the ushers and the, the, the crowd controls and the ID checkers and stuff like that, I, I, I never see all of that. And then, obviously, like any operation for, for uh, facility adopts, um, the point of contact for our security team, you know, our officers, our EMT staff and things like that, and then our janitorial as well. Um, so, so having my hand in all of that is, is a big part of what I do. Um, but then otherwise, you know, one, one thing that ops does is they help out every other department. That's the sure. position that kind of has their hands in everything. Cause if something isn't working right, they, they come to you. So, um, 
usually you make your list of things that that gets brought to your attention during the road stand so you can knock them out during the road stand. Right. Because game days, as you know, is kind of a blur. Uh, so you, you kind of make a list. You got some things you'll do during the during the road stands. Uh, but other than that, it's a lot of, of power washing and just maintaining the facility. So um, in a nutshell, my responsibility is to make sure the ballpark is safe, uh, presentable, and clean uh, for our guests. And then from there, it's just kind of putting out fires more more than anything, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think working in minor league baseball in general is just half of your job is putting out fires. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Because uh, sometimes, you know, you're just kind of um, making things work and other things just, you know, actually break down. And, and as you know, you got your hands on so many different things that you sometimes you got to make like a quick fix, move on, and come back to it. Right, right. Um, what are your thoughts on the proposal that could lose up to 42 minor league teams throughout the country? Uh, my initial uh, reaction is obviously being on the minor league team, minor league side of things, and knowing um, what we went through, like in Beloit, and knowing what like those minor league operations are like. First of all, um, and that's all you know, based off much bits, but and and also knowing what those uh, teams mean to those small communities that don't have many other forms of entertainment uh my my initial reaction is uh i hope it all works out yeah in a nutshell um but at the same time you know i understand the reasons for the discussion you know the the players want to be compensated fairly the travel they want it to be more convenient uh, and things like that so i get it but mm-hmm. ultimately i hope it all works out for both sides um and uh you know, like I said, like for example, when when uh, we, you and I got the news not too long ago that uh, Beloit's in good position to get a new ballpark. Oh my gosh! Factor in that, knowing that, knowing that, like if any particular year, if the staff would be like, you know what, this is just too much, because it it can be easy to say that in a town like that. Oh yeah, uh, this is just too much for me. And if it if it if like it just folded, you know. And then they wouldn't have the opportunity to be where they're at now and get in this new ballpark. And so there's a pride factor in that. And you just kind of pull for those small market teams. Um, and I, I think that Major League Baseball understands what those teams go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a business, so I guess we'll just let it play out. I can't or really don't have much more to say on that than that. But obviously, I hope it works out for everybody. Right, right. I mean, I've worked for you know some teams that that could be affected by that i mean like you said beloit's getting that new ballpark funny you should mention that so the gm that i worked for um the last one that i worked for he had told me he said he said yeah i interviewed for the gm job in beloit about 25 years ago and they were talking about getting a new stadium then <laughs> oh man, that thing has been in the works. Oh, dude, I you know what? Part of me was like, kind of like holding out, like to to leave Beloit so that I could see the new ballpark come through. Like, in order for me to be like a director of media relations and marketing for a new ballpark, that would have been 
amazing, but I mean, I'd still be waiting clearly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so four years later, I'd still be waiting, but uh, and, yeah, I, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, uh, I think that, um, probably every single year people are told we're trying to get a ballpark. And I think they really wanted to get a ballpark, but I always, I think everyone always had the feeling that it was going to come down to push comes to shove because I think when it came down to it, the city didn't want to lose what it had for the community. Mm-hmm. And I think it was going to be a matter of fact of like, it's an hour and never. And I think that's what's going to make the difference. And it turns out to be that way. Right. So I always felt like it was going to be, it wasn't going to happen until there's an ultimatum. So sure. uh, that's kind of how it worked out. And so, that probably played a lot into everyone's decisions back then, but uh, I think that's what I always envisioned it being, and it seems like that's going to be the case. Right, and there are some uh, communities that I would hate to see if they lost uh, their minor league affiliation. Um, cities like Clinton, Iowa... Um, yeah. Like, what would that city be with without the Lumber Kings? Yeah, and it's probably a conversation for you to have in a later episode, but when you get into super fans during your podcast, mm-hmm. everywhere you go, um, you can pretty much spot that. For, I remember we went to a game in Clinton, and I knew the guy that, was, that we saw eating double cheeseburger. We knew that he was a super fan because of how, how invested he was in that. And just that one game, even though he was to every game. Right. And uh, I feel like those kind of things are what you think about when you think of teams, whether it be uh, in the past or the future that, that lose or uh, relocate, lose their team or relocate. You, th- you think of those people. And, um, yeah, you know, seeing them day to day, at times you get um, a little, I don't want to say old, but a little, um, you know, stale and sure. but you know, it's in the grand scheme of things, those those people make the community what it is and the team what it is, and and you and you and you kind of miss those things uh, when it, when it's also done. Absolutely. Um, what's your most favorite part about working at MILB? We've addressed some of it throughout this conversation, but what's right. what's your all time favorite? Uh beyond what we talked about because a big thing of that I like is like I told you having, having your hand in, in multiple parts of operation and even when you don't at least being in the know is always always nice uh, um, but I, I think the other part of it is like uh, now that I've been in for eight seasons and you if you flip on the TV like I see Mark Canna play mm-hmm. knowing that he was on a team that I worked with for a completely different organization than who he's playing for. Yeah. Knowing at the time that he wasn't even a big prospect, those are the cool things. And knowing, like, seeing those guys on TV is, is cool. And then also the aspect of knowing, like, when you're in the moment and you see a guy that, you know, he just has it, even at the A-Law level. Sure. Knowing that one day you'll see him in the big leagues, it's cool to know. Yeah. It's cool to think back on, like, the interactions you had with him, seeing him on the TV, you know, in, in an MLE playoff race. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree, yeah. I think I think I counted when I got out of baseball, and there will so, certainly be more um, after, after I'm out, but uh, I think there was 26 guys that I knew that, you know, that had played for teams I worked for that made it to the majors. Um, so, I mean, that's always pretty cool. Um, so, we will... I always wanted yep. to... Go ahead, I go ahead. I wanted to, like, 
I always wanted to kind of figure out how many people I've seen play live, whether it be for the home team or the visiting team. But knowing that people switch affiliations and get traded so much, it's yeah. so hard. To, you, you might not even realize, like, yeah, I watched him play, but you didn't realize that until you saw him on TV. Right, right. Um, we're going to finish up this conversation with Timmy right after these messages. All right, Timmy. Welcome back. Uh, considering we didn't we didn't go anywhere, um, <laughs> I, we both know that there's a story that I want you to tell, but you're not going to tell it. I'm going to tell it later um, on a different episode, and it is an all time story, folks. Like the way Timmy tells this story is just honestly, it's the best story I've ever heard but since you're not going to tell it you have to tell me the funniest story you can think of that you're allowed to tell throughout you know throughout your MILB career oh man uh it's it's a tough question um I think that the, the best way to answer that question is uh is that uh, um, anyone that's been in minor league baseball, they, uh, you know, they, or at least in, in certain positions in minor league baseball, um, they realize that the, the players that we work with day to day, they, uh, they find very unique ways to keep themselves entertained, whether that be through a rain delay, um, or whether that be, you know, just leading up to the day. Because, you know, there's, they spend almost as much time as we do mm-hmm. at the ballpark. Um, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's really a, a funny one that I could, I could really share. There's, this last year, there, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of time, like this, this team, winter, but uh, they were pretty close knit and um, they would, they were often, uh, sing a lot to each other in the dugouts, like during rain delays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Off each other, uh, there were certain personnel that they, uh, you know, some some real characters on our staff that they knew that they could mess around with and, and have fun with and uh, would interact with. So it's always fun watching that kind of stuff. Um, and you know how baseball players are. That's like they're they're kind of like a different breed, uh, and they can make fun out of nothing. So it's kind of just fun to watch and observe them. Um, but if I had to say, like, you know, it's not really a funny story, but my, my favorite story, uh, and I may or may not have told you this, but uh, when I was in, I actually, I'll too, if, if you don't mind me telling but, Sure. But uh, one of my favorite stories is when, do you remember, and it must have been 2014, when uh, Manny Ramirez was a player coach for for the Cubs, but mm. stationed in Iowa? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he came in, and he, and like, it was funny knowing like what you see on TV and you and I we've we've told many Lance Stevenson stories uh, <laughs> I went to school with him yep. and other stories I can't really tell but uh, there, we've told a lot of Lance Stevenson stories and people always wonder if he's the same way in person as he is on television or if it's an act um, certainly there's probably people out there that put on a front uh, but Lance is not one of them uh, Manny Ramirez is also not one of them Okay. And uh, he was the same way in the clubhouse as he was in person. 
and you know, he was messing around, throwing medicine balls at people, um, bouncing off <laughs> medicine balls, just just being reckless in the, in the clubhouse and in the dugout. Yeah. So when I got to watch him hit, because I grew up like a Manny Ramirez fan, I just appreciated the, like his opposite field power. And, and yeah, absolutely. For the plate. Um, but uh, he got out there, you know, an older older guy, talent of his career, probably older than Vince Carter at the time. And yeah. uh, he's out there taking BP, and every swing is so effortless. Yeah. Every, he's got a real big basting on his – or basting on his ball. That's probably why he hits the eight home runs. But effortless <laughs> swings, every single one leaving the park. And, like, as a, like as, an, uh, as an employee of minor league baseball, you try to, like – try to separate yourself from all that stuff mm-hmm. I was just like a kid again like I was just mesmerized by a whole, whole experience <laughs> so that that was one of my favorite moments um, but another one was and anyone that knows this name is, is too big of a baseball fan honestly but I I know him because I'm a Reds fan and I, uh, you know I grew up a Reds fan and uh, I was I would always go into the clubhouses in uh, New Orleans um, before the team arrived you know uh, one example was Billy Hall. He used to play for the Braves. I think the Angels, mm. maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, he always he always preferred a particular type of chewing tobacco back when it was legal, and uh, to, to do that kind of stuff. And um, you know, he, it, we we always had to try to find the one place that had peach chew. And those <laughs> those kind of funny stories that you, you yep. know, and you see him play in the major leagues. Those are things you think of that no one else knows. Those are those are the cool things. But right. for those reasons, I go in before. At the AAA level, you want to see, the, I guess, this is probably not the best way to put it, but the has-beens, the guys that have, have made a name for themselves already, yeah. still playing because they just want to live out their career, you know? Right. Like, Willie Tavares was a big one that played AAA. Yeah. He had already done a lot of big leagues. Go in there and try to find names you recognize, which is something level. So I'd always, I'd always do that and go in there and see, you know, what names are on the lockers. And so I went in there one day and I saw the name Brett Tomko. And uh, I guess he's probably most notorious for being a part of that Griffey trade to the, to the Reds. Mm-hmm. And ironically, how big of a trade that was for the Reds, it turned out to be a key part of what led to like the most successful regular season in baseball history because the, the, the Mariners, they went on, they went on. So he was most notorious for that, but he was a pretty solid pitcher for the Reds. And so I knew his name, but no one else really did. And when I went in to beat him, you know, and, I, and when I actually said his name, he seemed like surprised that I even knew him, you know? Right. This guy was like mid-40s. He was like multiple years removed from, from playing ball, and he was making a comeback. Mm-hmm. making a comeback for, for Omaha at the time in New Orleans. And, and so we're just in the, like, the laundry room, the clubhouse. And we're just talking about Skyline Chili. I think I might have introduced Skyline Chili when you went to. to uh, oh yeah, so. Skyline Chili is a love hate relationship. Oh yeah, that's that's true to anybody. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about Skyline Chili. We're talking about how big of an order Sean Casey had at Skyline Chili, which I think everybody knows his name. Um, and just just talking about Cincinnati, and it's just like a small world. And you know, we had a conversation that he probably didn't expect to have, and I know I didn't. Yeah, for sure. It's funny how we can relate to things, you know, years after this guy played baseball and years after I left Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So those, are, those are probably the things that I remember the most. Nice, nice. Yeah, those are definitely memorable. Um, are there any cool promotions that you can share 
that's coming up this season? Uh, yeah. Um, one thing we don't typically do is is uh, bobbleheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we are this year. Ironically, uh, you know, the timing of this is interesting, but we're doing a Mookie Betts bobblehead this year. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people... I think a lot of people realized his his talent when he was first in Greenville, um, and then uh, I think I, I may have told you about uh, our um, our groundskeeper, um, but he has been around for pretty much since the beginning, more or less, and he's always had a what he calls a grounds hound. Um, yep. And and they and they they happen to always be boxers, and and he's had three of them. One of, one of which actually is painted painted in one of our restaurants. Uh, he's actually now on his third pup uh, that he's had as a ground sound. That's how long he's been around. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Muda, which is short for Bermuda, which is a, <laughs> you know a southern Turkish, right? As you know, but um, she's she's still a puppy, but she's growing fast. And the bobblehead has him, and he's got a big old. He's he's a burly fella. He he's got a big old beard, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, typical, like a picture perfect groundskeeper, honestly, and uh, he's got three pups in the, in the bobblehead right in front of him, which I think you would appreciate of all people. Oh yeah, but uh, that's probably my favorite promotion. But other than that, you know, we we do a lot of one thing that I think that makes us successful is we do a lot of promotions that that relate to our community. Mm-hmm. You know, we're part of the Copa uh, Nights sure. that Miley Baseball is promoting. Um, we have a Marvel Night that's I know my kids are going to be pumped up for. Uh, we're, we're bringing in Paul Patrol this year, I think. Yeah. Um, and things like that. So a lot of theme nights. Um, but other than that, it's your traditional, you know, 13, 14 fireworks shows and things like that. Sure. Um, as far as things I can at least talk about now that are set there. Okay. But yeah, it should be definitely be a good year. We're coming off a real successful year, but it should be a good year at, uh, Floor Field. Nice, nice. Yeah. Paw Patrol night will be crazy. Um... But, yeah, I'm jealous that you guys have a dog on your grounds crew. That's pretty cool. Um, So, my thought is to end every podcast with a different player's walk-up music. Uh, So, off the top of your head, what's your favorite player's walk-up song? And who is it? Um, you can probably remind me of this because, to be honest with you, um, the more I've moved on, the less I've paid attention to those kind of things. But you know, you and I being good buddies, you know, we would often talk to each other about you know what we're going through, what we're doing at, at work, and I know you're obviously very involved in, in uh, walk-up songs. Oh yeah, I do know that. Uh, you know, we talked earlier about like you know, the diversity in Miley baseball. You got Venezuelans, you got Puerto Ricans, you got uh, mm-hmm. Dominicans, uh, across the board. Yeah, and how that can also present challenges for you guys because, first of all, you don't always understand the words that not at all, folks, and you have to edit those things. <laughs> and uh, uh, do you remember Munoz's walk-up song? Or I guess that wasn't in our first year. Oh, because you know it, it ended up being we caught on and ended up being a song you played at the end of each game uh, on my by my request. Oh, that was Melvin Mercedes. 
Um, it was, it was like a, it, yes, it was. By, um, man, he's the only, this is the only song I know of him, so I'm sorry. Yep, it's, it's, uh, Jay Boog. Jay Boog, man, he, he's, he's talented, but he's not, I don't know how well known he is. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, yeah, there's something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for those who like listen to the song, it doesn't have anything to do with baseball. But <laughs> no. The, the, part that, the part that you put in there after every victory, which at the, that season was an awesome, <laughs> one of the worst teams in the Boyd Oh, gosh. I, I think that team won. That part that part of the song that you would edit in made sense to, uh, you know, basically tell our fans to come back and join us in that stuff. I think – that team had won 55 games in a 140 game season. That was that was rough. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the Pulling Tart podcast. Hopefully, um, people listen to this and it's a success, and we keep doing it. Um, you're the very first guest, so I'm honored. Um, and thank you for taking time away from your family. I know I know that's really important to you, but obviously we have a history going back and a lot of funny stories. So I hope that you can come back on the podcast at some point. Absolutely, man. All right. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, let's ride it out with... great song and I remember Melvin Mercedes Instagram DMing me this song during a rain delay asking me if he could change it Stove Lake Media Igniting Conversation